Scotty, dear Scotty, did you miss me last week? Quick, I'll give you three seconds to think of a lie. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, my sadness is my no, my sadness is increasing. My sadness, my sadness is increasing. My sadness is now. Approaching peak sadness. No, I am at peak sadness. I no longer. Yeah, yeah, feel... yeah. So I'm really supposed to feel sorry for you when a few minutes before we're supposed to record, you send me a uh, uh, a text saying, "Sorry, got to go on a trip," and send me a picture of your private jet or whatever you're on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a private jet. It's a fucking propeller plane. It's it's an old. Okay, your private propeller plane. <laughs> it's, it doesn't belong to me. Oh my gosh. All right, fine. I'm not going to be able to weasel my way out of this one. Yeah, there we are. So there we are. All audience sympathy has swung my way. Victory. Shit, shit, shit. shit. Okay, fine. (laughs) Well, how are you, Mr. Scott? I am not too bad, sir. And yourself? You know, I have to say, uh, work-wise, I'm pretty happy. Well, are you able to tell us why you're happy, or are you not allowed to tell us why you're happy this week? You know, I I hear you. Um, uh, So I, yeah. Uh, there are things I, I can't say, but what I can talk about is now some more kind of nitty gritty since we, you know, the, that one fractional listener who, you know, who might have been holding on to hope that we might ever talk something about uh, software engineering. Um, I have some things to talk about if you'd like. I think we should talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Okay. So uh, I have been working on, on, okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the the, the exact nature of the project I I can, I'm working on, but I will say that I'm working on something where you have the the the, the challenge of basically synchronizing activities across multiple devices, which has a whole kind of network you know aspect to it. But uh, we'll leave that on the floor for now. What I am going to talk about is having UIs that need to be highly adaptive as things change which means that you can imagine a view controller that needs to be full size and then maybe needs to be minimized. And so that even just that transition between the two sizes, if you want to make it smooth and have it do things like follow your, 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 your finger as you, you, you know, move it about, that's something that, you know, a responsive UI that, that we really care about. And I have a colleague who, who's particularly good at that. And I was very thrilled when he agreed to, to help with something about that because he, he created a whole sheet system from which the entire app has benefited enormously very very good at animations and interruptible animations uh and 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 just responsive user interfaces in general and so all that's great and so then the challenge for me working on this particular canvas is that i need to for instance respond to either a push notification or an internal message saying like hey you need to bring this canvas up and it needs to be full screen or if it's already you know exists and is minimized maybe you change the state on it there but since there's a big difference, as you might imagine, in a in a in a minimized UI versus a full UI, you, you're changing which controls. And so, an example that exists in the application today is something called you know something called MDX, the multi-device experience. It's the, actually the the very first major project I worked on when I joined Netflix, and it's the thing that allows you to use your your phone to control a TV, for example, to control playback, pause, rewind, to be able to show you what's going on and to keep those two things in sync. So it's similar to that in terms of its challenges. And when I first wrote it, you know, seven plus years ago, uh, you have to imagine, 
imagine it was it was way before all the different nice APIs that we have now. And so the, the standards, the expectations for, for user interfaces have changed a lot. But so in the very specific thing that I have to, to work with is you can imagine a view controller that has different modes, you know, so that if you're in this mode, you might want a full screen image view here. And if you're in, in another mode, you might want a series of uh, an array of buttons or you might want one type of control service or whatever. And so for that, then the question comes in, it's like, how can you switch them on the fly and have it all work out properly? And, and how can you make auto layout play nicely with animations if you're doing things? Because there is oftentimes a, a tension between animation where it's possible to animate changes in, in auto layout, but the problem, as we know with auto layout, is that it is a black box. You tell it what you want it to do, and it goes off and does it, and, and if it works, great, it's magic, and if it doesn't, then you're like saying, ah, what happened? And a lot of times, people who would like to do fluid animation work, they just basically, they're almost like they have PTSD. It's like, you know, it's like, ah, no, 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 use frames, use frames, use frames. Um, and sometimes you have to meet in the middle. So another thing that I think that people generally reach for is if you've got a lot of, of you know, let's call them regions in your view. You may use a stack view to, because you don't know how many items are going to be in there. And, and stack views are very good at adding and removing uh, their arranged subviews. So I kind of, in, in progressing to build this thing, since it starts life as a prototype, and then we see it's like, this looks good, let's try and make it more real. And so you switch from having kind of all manually laid out views in, a, in, a, in the view controller to like, nope, that's not going to work. You know, you, you say that works good, so now I'm going to collect some of these and put it in its own view and make it separate. And you want to make things very convenient. So you you kind of manage, manage <laughs> imagine that you have subviews. Like I'm going to do something like a playback controls view, which has like a slider and 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 you know time indicators or, or and, and and a play pause button. And maybe you want that to have animation. So all that kind of gets grouped together into its own class, and you can bring that in. Now the, the rub will be is that if you do use auto layout, and I do, you you know you as you know you add views as a sub view and once you've done that then you could add constraints and you want to kind of do it efficiently as possible and you want to ideally do it once so i'm also a big fan of of lazy bars late you know lazy initialization so you can have a, a essentially a function which you know will will return something but it's only called once because you figure that's expensive i try to do that then you notice something, and this is where the plot thickens. If you do that and you add a lazy instantiated I-bar that gets created once, and those things are, you know, the, the purpose of that, that, that function is to create a view with, with auto layout constraints on it. If you then remove it from the stack view, the process of removing things from a stack view will also kill all the constraints. And I'm like thinking, why is, why is it work the first time? And as soon as I make any change saying switch mode, bring in a new kind of screen fold, you know, make the screen really change, but make it appear smooth and nice and just work magically. And then all of a sudden the layout of everything is broken. And I was scratching my head, scratching my head. And I finally came to the realization that, you know, the, the, the problem you, you had is that you kind of need to create things from scratch all the time. So no problem, change a lazy IVAR into a function. It's just like removing a couple of characters and you realize that, that you can make things work fast and it's fine. I'm not loading any data. I'm just doing view setup um, and it's fine. So once I got that working, I had a nice system. And yes, I can't show you a screen movie of what it has. I think if people who are used to working with stack views will probably feel some of my pain, 
others might it may kind of you know lay back in their brain for the next time they might work on it and they'll say yes i remember fox going on about something about kind of when you remove a range subviews from a stack view the constraints of those subview get you know blown away and you have to create them from scratch each time so there's my little victory i got something working yesterday i'm going to take a deep breath now um, and have a sip of coffee while you say big deal john oh the joys of these these things that are sort of like supposed to help us it's uh i, I mean yeah, don't go wrong it is all really good stuff but yeah it's just there uh, you know, something about software development to me is like lots of it gets easier i mean you know let's you know views without constraints <laughs> can you imagine trying to do everything without having able to use constraints but then you've yeah. just listed a whole bunch of problems that if you don't something wrong and all the constraints get thrown away and we just like you know it's one of the things I, I guess I wonder how many hours a developer time is spent on sort of like niggles like that. It's all work. Oh, I mean, I use the lazy IVR. It only gets thrown, it gets thrown away. I don't get it all back again and that sort of stuff. And I reckon there's a good percentage of how people like me and you spend our time is on stuff like that. Indeed. And it, and, you know, while I was thinking about it, I, I, at the back of my mind, I kept saying, it's like, Oh my God, should this be much easier? Should, should I have done swift UI for all of this? And I, you know, I, I don't believe it would have been easier with Swift UI because everything that I've I've learned and seen still is that it doesn't play so nicely with animations that you need to control. So at some point, and still, you know, it, it, Swift UI is still a wrapper around a bunch of UI class, UI kit classes. So you know, it, it, at least as it is right now. Now, surely that will change. Uh, but I, I don't want to open up a can of worms for like should I should I not? Because the fact of the matter is is like the, this thing is working. This is the the way that it can be done to get what we want to do. But some other tricks and tech, you know, tips and techniques that I use to help me debug this stuff, um, I think are still valid because you 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 bring up an important point. You think to yourself as an engineer doing this. I've been working. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. Should this be easier? Or should it not? Should I do it right or, or or not? I mean, am I doing it right or not? And I think that you know, uh, it's not it, it, it it's not rocket science. And, and it's like I'm not programming you know an Apollo control module that has to you know fit in, in half a kilobyte of RAM. Um, but it, it is complicated stuff. If you really wanted to do a nice job of it, if you really want the level of polish that 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 we're all going for. So here's one little trick that I did use, which, you know, as unsophisticated as it may sound, I made it very, it, it was very helpful. Like, it's pretty often that you might, you know, add a background color to a view. It's kind of a, a, a cheap and cheerful way of seeing what's happening in your view hierarchy without having to stop epic execution of your program and look at this exploded UI, whether you're doing it, you know, with Xcode's built-in view or using, you know, a third-party tool, because uh, sometimes it's just faster to be able to do that. So a technique which I use all the time is I will set a background color. But one thing that you can do is instead of setting it to a fixed color where you have to decide should it be red, should it be green, you know, if I make it black, I won't be able to see. If I make it red, it might not be visible. You can just assign it to, you know, uh, .random, the function. So UI color .random. And what's nice about that is precisely because it's random, it helps you figure out was this view recreated <laughs> because it will have a different color and, and that can be very, very helpful. Um, and that was very helpful because a simple thing you might do with stack views is, is you have to, people have to remember that stack views are our containers and you have to kind of give them an idea about what you're going to do with them uh, and, and particularly how things are get sized. And, and oftentimes a stack view is, is good because you can basically say, 
these 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 subviews need to be of a fixed size because let's say that they are a button and you want the button to be able to, and it have a larger tappable area or you just want the button to you know be 40 by 40 or something like that but if it's if the container of it is whatever you know 90 by 90 but you want it to be a fixed value and it exists on the trailing edge and maybe you have a leading edge which also has some type of icon and the space in the middle should expand to whatever width is required and maybe have a fixed height. So, you know, you're basically saying these things are fixed, these things should should adjust. And stack views are really good about that. And they're really good about saying, it's like, I don't need this, you know, and so rather than having to make it hidden and then, you know, remove it, you just basically remove it as an arranged sub view. And it's 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 all really good. Stack view is like once you once you go there, you know, even though they can be frustrating to work with, they really get the job done, especially in this particular case. As I said, you need to move it, you know, things need to be able to, to change very, very quickly and work with this kind of sub-view modules that, that you just bring in and, and, and bring out on a whim as necessary. So it was satisfying because I was able to get things working. But on the other hand, there were a couple of hours where I thought, oh, my God, this is really frustrating. Why is this not working? Why do I suck? Or why is this stuff difficult? And where I concluded, and you can you can say, no, it's just because you suck, John. I concluded that if you're trying to do something, you know, advanced, it is tricky when you want to keep all those things in. And if you want to do something that's very simple, uh, Swift UI is great for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's just so many moving parts often, and and you know these demos and everything, and and don't worry, Swift UI is getting more and is getting better and better, and and the rest of it. And people used to say, oh, we can't use auto layout or constraints because it can't handle the complex stuff. And of course, you know now it's you know it, it's moved on so much in over time, but it's yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts and. It, it is complicated, and yet it still amazes me, you know, as it's complicated as it is, and then all of the extra tools that get added and all of the things we can use to look at this stuff and, and, and third-party tools to help. Still simple things like changing the color, background color of the view helps you to see that something is going wrong yeah. or something's yeah. not there. I think I remember there was a – we had a um, – uh, a, a mini talk at uh, one of the NS conferences on using sound in debugging. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think they were like playing different sounds when different things happened. So you could immediately tell what your app was doing based on the, the dings or the dongs or the beeps or the bops that it was it right. was doing. And it became obvious that, yeah, oh, wait a minute, 47 things are being created because I just heard that bip 47 times or whatever, and that's not what's supposed to be happening. So with all this stuff, we still come back to some, you know, basic stuff, you know, color changes, a bit of sound, and, um, you know, the good old print statement. <laughs> exactly. Where would we be without the print statement? Debugging we would wouldn't. die. <laughs> exactly. So I have one other little bit of tidbit while it's fresh on my mind, uh, and then I'm going to have you tell me all the great things that you've done this week. So mm-hmm. um, uh, I continue to be proud to, to say that, you know, we have bug bashes on a weekly basis and my colleagues show their things and, and they they know that I will, I will you know, <laughs> go over it with a fine tooth comb for, for general stuff like everyone else, but they have a particular view for accessibility. And it, it genuinely makes me happy, even after all these years, when, when, when people kind of present something and 
it really works well. Like they, they really thought about it. And I just know it, it, it becomes easier to do because you have a lot of reusable components where that stuff is baked in, but still it's, it, it is an expression of love. And I feel like I have succeeded in getting people to care about this stuff. And uh, so I was looking at something yesterday and it was beautiful. Like all the, the, the respect for preferred content size and voiceovers all looking great. And so now What's good about it is like you, you get those bases covered and then I start saying it's like voice control. Let's keep an eye on that. And voice control is something that usually, you know, um, we've tended not to have to, to spend a lot of time on it because voice control by its nature just works. Um, in that there's always a fallback. And for people who don't know, it's a way of basically, like it says, controlling an app with your voice. And so you basically, you, you're telling it to, to tap, to swipe, to do all those different things. And to make it efficient, you want to be able to, if you are presented with a user interface and for whatever reason you can't touch the screen, then you might want to say tap play. Right. And that's a very common thing because you're seeing the words play. You just can't touch it. And the, here's the rub is like for us, for somebody who can see it, then it, it says play. So, you know how to identify it for voiceover users who can't see it. Oftentimes you might have a, a label that's a little bit longer, which says what it is. So it might, you know, say play and then the name of the title or, you know, play from beginning if that's what it is or, or whatever. So the accessibility label describes with more context than, than it, you know, it, because the person can't see it. The rub for voice control is that you look at it and you immediately say, oh, I'm going to say tap play, but then it doesn't work. So when you're using voice control, you can basically turn on a grid, in which case it subdivides the screen, and then you might say tap three, because you can visually see, you know, the, the, that within grid cell three is the item you want to tap. And that's all well and good, but you don't want users to have to do that. So there you, you run into the problem. It's like you can't have an access. The accessibility label is what by default is used by voice control, except voice control added some new API for uh, user input labels, which can be an array of different ones. And so that way you can solve the problem. And, and I knew about this, you know, and this was a problem I saw in the, in the, in, in the user interface that was being presented in the bug bash. So it was very helpful. I kind of had the screenshot where I ask voice control to, to show names. So it basically, it's a, it's a great debug technique because it shows you what the name of the label is. Um, and uh, you can you can learn a lot from from that, even if you're not debugging for accessibility purposes, just to kind of see what your views are called and where they are and how complicated it may or may not be. Um, but then I remembered that there was the API that Apple added because some number of years ago in the before times, they were hosting a, a kind of a talk about this. And that was a, a question I specifically asked. And they said, yes. Thank you for asking it. There is this new API. You should use it. And so I remembered that, and I was searching for it. And then I came across a, just a beautifully written article uh, that I, I uh, linked to in a in a, uh, in a post yesterday on, on Mastodon. Um, and I'll put that in the show notes. But I was really super happy for the guy, Jordan, who had taken the time to, to, to explain it very nicely. And so I was able to take that link, put it in the code doc, and, and make everybody smarter. So that... Uh, made me very happy. So that was my other triumph. So that's why I said work is making me happy. So Scotty, now I've done all this talking. Now it's time for you to tell us about how happy you are. I'm as miserable as shit, John. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 it's not that bad. I've had, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since, but it's, I've been in, we've been in sort of like debugging mode on Moneywell, debugging mode on client stuff. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, it's yeah, plotting away, making progress. Some things are just harder than they need to be. Uh, I mean, I'm not, um, 
doing much work on this myself, but obviously we're doing it with houses. You know, one of the things that the next features into money one is iCloud sharing. Um, you know, being able to, at the moment you can share uh, your data with yourself effectively because mm-hmm. it's doing everything through your iCloud account, but um, you can support, you know, uh, other people being able to access your iCloud data and, and share that data with it. And, you know, a little demo is particularly on iOS, you know, do something, it pops up the, um, you know, pops up the uh, little pre-done dialogue or whatever it is and it all works. But try to do that on the Mac. <laughs> yeah, different story. <laughs> on there, no UI, do build your own stuff for it. Um, and just getting it to work seems challenging. Um, you have to have links that people can then shit to. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I think what I'll do is probably when we get it working, do a, like, rather than just doing little bits, but it's just like, yeah, we, yeah, I'm going to be honest, we were using iCloud and we said, okay, we could just turn on iCloud sharing at some point and make it that, you know, people can share their data between two different iCloud accounts. Um, we weren't expecting it to be like one line of code or anything, but we definitely weren't expecting it to be something that we were going to spend, you know, quite a lot of weeks scratching our head over and trying to make to work. So that's been a bit disappointing, shall I say? Um, mm. And there, and I think, as I said, I think we'll wait until we we solve it or give up on it, one or the other. <laughs> Hopefully, the first, not the second, uh, and then maybe do a bit of a retrospective on that as opposed to do it in bits because that might be technically a little bit more useful um and yeah the other thing i'll be doing is you know debugging upload code and you know when whenever there's a i mean you're going to know this more than anyone else i mean although i suspect your stuff is far more download you know whenever there is an interaction of multiple systems debugging becomes difficult because you've Mm -hmm. either got to you know test against mock systems and mocking out systems is a lot of work or you know, are you running against some sort of practice or test system or staging system and just just uh it's it, i guess it's time consuming and it there comes a point some days when you're just trying to get something and something niggly is just getting getting at you um uh things that well i mean one uh, a good example of something that's been frustrating me this week is uh, if you're uploading something to S3 uh, using the S3 SDK, iOS SDK, uh, you have the ability to, uh, as part of the upload, putting in put an MD5 hash um, of the file you're uploading into the header of the upload via the SDK. You don't have to judge yourself. And it will, um, the, you know, the back end will verify that whatever you're uploading matches the MD5 hash that you've done, and it's like a security check and a validity check and, and all that as it goes on. And this MD5 hash is supposed to be base64, uh, which, in fairness, the documentation wasn't clear, very clear on, so initially I wasn't base64ing it and wasn't quite sure why everything was failing all the time. Um, so that was, uh, that was an interesting one. Uh, but it's... Yeah, and eventually I got all that working. But 
one of the things that's been driving me mad is I had the I was trying to do it initially with the um, crypto kit stuff, you know, so using insecure MD5 hash and all that sort of stuff that we're supposed to use now if we don't want warnings in our code saying this has been deprecated. And no matter what I did with this crypto kit stuff, any MD5 hash I ever generated with it was rejected by S3. Um, whereas if I did the old style, you know, unsafe mutable brights with the CC underscore MD5 and all the CC MD5 length stuff that looks horrible and is horrible and exactly why uh, CryptoKit came along. So this is, I think the old stuff was all in common crypto, wasn't it? I think that's the right way around. In, uh, uh, but if I do it that way, then S3 accepts it and all works. So uh, I suspect I'm doing something wrong with the crypto kit and i'm and i'm not you know i'm I'm grabbing the wrong property or something like that but it shouldn't be that difficult to get a base 64 md5 <laughs> data representation and have it work so uh and it's just you realize you're doing this and you're playing with it and you just realize you know a day has gone by and you've just wasted your day on something that should work so right now it is all working but i'm using the older code it means i've got warnings in my code that this is about to be deprecated which really really annoys me uh but i will come back and try and solve it eventually the other way but there we are so if anyone out there has used the s3 upload sdk with um you know using a crypto kit to provide a base 64 md5 to the header for the upload i'd love to see how you did it because for me it didn't work that's so funny so like i i haven't i haven't used amazon you know that that s3 sdk for a long time and i do remember like i couldn't have you couldn't of course you could you know you know do roll everything by hand but you know understanding exactly how amazon implements their their api on top of standard http and and security apis it would be a pain in the butt so if it weren't for the s3 you know uh you know a toolkit i i wouldn't do it um and so i feel your pain a little bit um i i would be very curious to to know about that and the reason why is because you know it's not something i've touched in a long while but but it's something that i can imagine touching again you know in the not terribly distant future um so thank you for uh thank you for bringing that to our attention (laughs) and and do let us know how you get it worked out what I'm probably bringing to your attention is my stupidity of not knowing how to use it properly. Um, but there we well, are. That's helpful too. There we go. But the point is, you know, I am a reasonably competent developer. Uh, I have lots of experience. I know how certain things work and don't work. I can sort of follow certain things. And so really, it, it, it if it's not clear to me, yes, it might be because I have I lack some knowledge or something, but it also says something about that the documentation or something about the way it's structured it could be better because it shouldn't be unclear to me right. as much, yeah. if that makes sense. No, I, I, <laughs> I totally are. agree. Well, sir, there we are. There we are. That's been an almost entirely tech show. Yeah. Well, well maybe should, we can have a few we... weeks off now. <laughs> something like that. Well, yeah. Well, it it appears I will be traveling, so uh, yeah. At some point over the next month, I may have to miss a show. So I'm warning, warning our our fractional listener. Um, but you know, in the meantime, since we're here, uh, Scotty, if people want to talk to you and and ask you questions, whether about S3 or you know life as as a baller, you know billionaire 
billionaire in rubles, maybe, or not even rubles, because uh, <laughs> that, that that still exists and there are billionaires in rubles. Let's scratch that. As, as a baller entrepreneur in East Bollockshire, where might they do that? Uh, yeah, um, that was the most long-winded way of saying how could people get terrible. hold of me. Uh, yeah, uh, they can get me on Mastodon, where I am Scotty at developer.social. And John, if people want to tell you how to be more succinct, how should they do that? Uh, they should just say, shut up, Fox. Um, but if they want to say more than that, they can find me also on Mastodon, where I'm Jembe at Mastodon Social. And as we know, that's Jembe, like the West African drum, D-J-E-M-B-E. Excellent. Excellent. Well, John, it's been a pleasure as always. And uh, we'll, I don't know when we will be back. You're traveling. I'm traveling. We're all traveling. We'll hit episodes when we can. I'm sure the world isn't going to stop just because we're not talking to each other. Um, although it should, if we're totally honest. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, if you are on the schedule for the next few weeks and you're not going to end up hearing us, congratulations and well done. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> but until next time, thanks for listening. And you take care. Thank you.